so I just ran down. So, no, I, I had it turned off, but I don't, I don't remember turning it off. And <laughs> I've melted one of those pots before. I was going to make some tea and decided not to. Well, anyway, it's time for Mr. Ray Pete. It's always fun to talk to this gentleman. It is the third Tuesday on One Radio Network, where he so graciously agreed to come and visit and take some of your questions and just kick around so much of his research, and we dig into all kinds of things. He started long ago with a Ph.D. from the University of Oregon. He specialized in physiology. He started working on hormones in 68, wow, 50 years ago, and wrote his dissertation in 72, in which he outlined his ideas on progesterone and hormones closely related to it. The main thesis is that energy and structure are interdependent at every level. If you'd like to ask Dr. Pete a a question, it is uh, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Ray Pete, good morning. Good morning. How are you? How are things up there? Oh, very good. It was sunny yesterday. Could be again today. Uh Are you getting some painting done? Are you becoming like your own little Picasso guy? Uh, not lately. Haven't <laughs> done much for several days. Uh-huh. Do you do, uh, uh, Dr. Pete, do ongoing research uh, all the time? Are you always looking around? Uh, yep, always uh, reading and t- trying to figure things out. Have you figured anything out recently where you had an aha moment? Uh, yeah. Really? Uh, a couple of things about how serotonin works. Uh, uh, the... the um, for, for example, uh, people have known for uh, oh several decades, starting in um, the 1930s, actually, uh, people were realizing that hospital ox- oxygen uh, isn't good for people. <laughs> uh, and a, a physiologist, uh, uh, based on uh, how people react to altitude, a physiologist tried adding from 5 to 7% carbon dioxide to the oxygen. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started using it in fire departments for resuscitating people, and it worked very well. So they uh, tried it on new- newborn babies and found that it was good for babies to stimulate breathing. And uh, it was used all around the country in fire departments for uh, maybe five or ten years, and then gradually uh, went out of use. But hospitals almost always uh, keep oxygen, plain 100% oxygen on hand uh, for patients. But several people uh, in the last 20 or 30 years have uh, started looking at the outcome uh, when they uh, oxygenize a, a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when when the blood saturation is uh, approaching uh, uh, 100% saturation uh, when it's above uh, 90% actually, the mortality uh, starts increasing uh, rather than decreasing. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, hyper-oxygenated patients, uh, actually about twice as many of them uh, don't come out of the hospital. Wow. Oh. And uh, what I realized was that uh, that's been known uh, as an effect of uh, strenuous exercising where you breathe uh, very intensely. 
uh, your blood uh, can become very over-oxygenated, and they know that that increases prolactin as a sort of a stress reaction hormone. Uh, and so they, they tried uh, just having a person breathe 60% oxygen or 100% oxygen and found that that drives their, their, their prolactin very high. And I realized that uh, what's happening is the uh, lack of carbon dioxide in the blood when you're being uh, treated with oxygen or uh, just hyperventilating, and that raises the pH of your blood, causes the, the uh, platelets to release their serotonin, and serotonin drives up prolactin. Uh, uh, that uh, people have rejected that idea because they believed uh, that there was a barrier, blood-brain barrier, that would keep the platelet uh, uh, serotonin out of the brain. Mm. But uh, in fact, I'd just been uh, going going over the evidence that in fact there is no blood-brain barrier uh, when when you have. Uh, uh, too much estrogen, for example, the, the uh, e enzymes in the uh, capillaries of the brain uh, lose their, their ability to uh, detoxify serotonin, and so it goes right from your blood into your brain. So let's unpack this a little bit. So if folks over-exercise, we get too oxygenated, and we lose too much carbon dioxide, is that right, by breathing fast, if we breathe yeah. fast, and yep. that's not a good thing, and that could that have been a problem for some of these people that would run 25 or 50 miles or something and fall over with heart attackers? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, and there are um, more than 300,000 people huh. every year just in the United States who, who die with uh, cardiac arrest, uh, and uh, it's known that serotonin uh, increases uh, the delay between contraction and uh, readiness for a new contraction and and uh, hmm. uh, the uh, uh, SSRI uh, serotonin reuptake in inhibitor antidepressants I increase that delay by uh, raising your your serotonin and, and uh, so they uh, are actually known to be able to Increase the uh, cardiac arrest wow. frequency. So, so that's what the SSRIs, Doctor Peter, are are falsely doing, helping people to quote feel better by juicing up their serotonin levels. That's the theory. That's a theory, right? That's a theory. Yeah, <laughs> not good. So let, let's go back on the prolactin and the uh, the pH. So, is this prolactin substance something? We don't. You said it increases the prolactin when we get when we over oxygenate or over exercise. Uh, yeah, and starting in about 1965, when the birth control pills hmm. uh, came on the market, wow. uh, there was suddenly an increase. I think it was about a hundredfold increase in the uh, incidence of pituitary tumors that secrete prolactin, and. Uh, that was an effect of, of the birth control pill, creating prolactinoma uh, tumors. And uh, uh, that 
uh, I think is because uh, estrogen causes you to hyperventilate, uh, interferes with your thyroid gland, which uh, makes you produce uh, carbon dioxide, which is an anti-serotonin agent. And so if you're high in estrogen or low in, in a thyroid function, you're going to uh, have effectively a shortage of carbon dioxide and an excess of prolactin and serotonin. So when we do exercise, we want to work towards not breathing so much and, and, and retaining the carbon dioxide, getting getting stronger, getting the heart muscles stronger and the blood vessels and the muscles so we don't over-breathe. Is that, uh, yeah, is that right? Exactly. That, that can make the exercise much more effective. Much more effective. Why? What's the carbon dioxide, Dr. P? What's it doing in the body when you're retaining it? It's a good thing. Um, yeah. It, it for one thing, uh, delivers the right amount of oxygen to the tissue. The tissue, uh, your muscle, uh, produces carbon dioxide, uh, and uh, the, the blood arriving in the capillaries uh, release oxygen in proportion to how much carbon dioxide oh. you're producing. Wow. <laughs> so that's how we get the oxygen to where we want it, by having enough carbon dioxide in there. Um, yeah, and the carbon dioxide, meanwhile, is uh, keeping the pH of the blood in the proper range oh. where, the, where the serotonin can hang, uh, can be stuck into the, the platelets. Hmm. The, the um, platelets lose their affinity for serotonin if you don't have enough carbon dioxide. So the fewer breaths we take every day as we're working or walking or, or on the computer... The more, the more carbon dioxide we're we're retaining. Not really, no? only metaphorically, because oh. if your thyroid function is low, yeah, you just don't need much oxygen in your tissues, and then you can be hyperventilating even when you're only taking ten or fifteen breaths per minute, uh, because your tissue needs so little oxygen if you breathe. At a normal rate, you're hyperventilating, and the uh, typical uh, diabetic or hypothyroid person is going around uh, just at rest uh, with an excess of lactic acid in the blood because they're they're losing uh, carbon dioxide and producing uh, lactic acid because they can't use the oxygen that is in the blood because the thyroid function is low. Yeah. Wow. Man, you're such a thyroid geek. It's incredible, all the the, the, the the little moving parts with this thyroid. Man, very interesting. So, we had a fellow on the show the other day that suggested you could get a one of these little laser temperature things. You ever see these, Doc, where you have a little gun and you just put the laser and you can put on water or, I guess, an engine and, or your skin and tell. And he said if you put it on the bottom of your big toe... That you, it could be, it should be around 90 degrees for proper thyroid function. You think that could be valid to that, that idea? Um, I've used the, the little, uh, uh, infrared Have you? Uh, uh, things that measure oxygenation of the tissue. And everyone, uh, hospitals even, uh, say you shouldn't get below 90% saturation. 
and uh, if you go down to 80%, they uh, put you on super oxygen treatment. <coughs> and lots of people uh, uh, like to uh, keep their saturation around 98%. But uh, uh, using it in different conditions, I saw that in cold weather, uh, I could be exercising or whatever, but hmm. in cold weather, uh, my uh, fingers always showed uh, 98 or 99% saturation. But when I was warm and my fingers were actually using oxygen, I, I could get my fingers down to uh, 90% or 89% saturation. Oh, uh, so if your tissue isn't using oxygen, you can be dead and still have saturated uh, hemoglobin. So what's the message there? I kind of... Uh, well, if, if you quick quick froze a person's <laughs> hand, uh, it would stay saturated with oxygen. Uh, so those little uh, gadgets that are sold so commonly and used in hospitals just don't say very much about your physiology. Oh, you're talking about the little finger things that they put on yeah, people. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And they can show, uh, I put mine on, it's generally like 96, 7, 8. And I thought yeah. that's the good spot where you want to be, right? When you put those on? Uh, that, uh, it, or not? Does that matter? In general, that, that would be good. But uh, on your finger, since temperature regulates the metabolic rate, you can't really tell You're not really much telling much. <laughs> but... They put everybody on these things in the hospital, right? Everybody, that's the first thing they do, stick one of these yeah, things on you. When they were first designed uh, for hospital use, they were actually very sensitive and measured the up and down uh, concentration of oxygen with each heartbeat. Uh-huh. But now they're, they're just using these cheap things that show an average uh-huh. oxygenation, and it all depends on temperature. Uh-huh. But what about the the laser where they're taking the temperature of the toe, and the toe is 90 degrees? Theoretically, what do you think? Do you think there's some validity to that? Uh, Sure, if it's temperature. uh, Oh, yeah, temperature. Yeah, if your feet are below, uh, oh, I think it's down around 80 degrees. Right. They start producing inflammatory signals. Oh. Uh, and it, it can cause your your whole system to become <clears throat> stressed and yes. uh, yeah. r- responding to inflammation. So so warm feet, for example, will make you sleep better. Yes, by, by reducing inflammation. Oh, so that's the whole classic cold hands, cold feet with the low thyroid people. That's what's going on. Yeah, right. Can you walk us through uh, what's happening when the thyroid is not producing the way it should? And how how that translates into cold feet? I'm kind of curious about that. How that works? Oh, um, the oxygen is making you burn uh, fat and sugar, uh, turning it into energy to use. And in the process of producing ATP and using the ATP, uh, you're producing heat in proportion to the amount of oxygen uh, you're using. And the thyroid is what makes you use oxygen to burn, uh, preferably sugar, but also fat or protein. Uh, And so uh, in proportion to the uh, health of your thyroid, uh, you'll be 
uh, consuming oxygen and, and producing heat. So you can measure the heat a person is producing, but that would uh, increase under the influence of stress and cortisol, uh, which could be breaking down your tissue, not using oxygen. So temperature alone uh, isn't enough. You have to know the actual amount of oxygen being consumed. Uh, that's almost all under the influence of, of thyroid function. Huh? And so the, the in the 1930s and 40s, uh, lots of doctors had their, their little apparatus uh, a can inverted in water uh, with a hose to put over your nose and, <laughs> and uh, then you would breathe for two minutes uh, and measure the amount of oxygen consumed and using that test 30% of Americans were hypothyroid uh, but uh, when the drug companies came on the market with a, a supposed way to measure the amount of thyroid in your blood uh, they convinced the, the whole world that only 5% of the population is hypothyroid. So uh, immediately in the mid-1940s, uh, people went from being 30% hypothyroid to only 5% hypothyroid. So it was a, a great uh, medical disaster. But, yeah, but you would think that their their motive would have been to have more people being hypo. So they could sell them more stuff, right? Um, I, yeah, except they, they made made a, a simple physiological mistake and, and <laughs> just got uh, it wrong. That, yeah, they thought that a blood test uh, probably was more profitable to sell ah. a phony phony blood test yeah. than their their chemical. Yeah. So I guess if I hear you right, then taking the temperature of the toe with one of these laser temperature things. Would would not be a good marker to use for the amount of thyroid you need. Um, no, could it be no, closer? It, it's just it's one of the just signs. one things. Yeah, like when you shake hands with someone, if they have ice cold hands sure. in the summer, uh, they're almost always hypothyroid unless they're just very nervous. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, very interesting. Ray Pete is with us. Patrick Timpone. One radio network.com. Stay right there, Dr. Pete. We got a little sale going on here. If you have a question for Dr. Ray Pete, uh, we'll, we'll get them all in. Patrick at one radio network.com. Sale going on in elk velvet. Have you ever wondered why elk velvet antler could be good for you? So every year they shed it, and then in the spring they begin growing a new rack, a new set of antlers. Three months. They grow it in three, three months. Three months. Think about the biggest moose rack you've ever seen, the biggest elk that's rack or deer rack you've ever seen. That's three months of growth. It's amazing. Now, so what you have is this organ that starts off as nothing and grows within three months to be an organ that's covered in skin, hair, veins, arteries, nerves. It's totally enervated. It's got bone and osteous tissue and bone marrow. It's essentially a limb. It requires special molecules like growth factors to accelerate the growth of it. And so there's growth factors in there that grow all the types of tissue that are found on it. Bone, bone marrow, nerves, skin, blood. All of that is being grown by these growth factors. And you can put that into your own blood and help yourself regenerate tissue. Well, that's why we use it around here. You can click and order Elk Velvet Antler from Daniel Vitalis or Thrival and Easter Thrival link right here on OneRadioNetwork.com. And as I said, we have a 
uh, still going on, 50% off, 50% off on the Power Duo. Let me see what, what this uh, promo is about. Sorry. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. So you, you buy an Elk Velvet Antler Gold, which is a good one, and then you get 50% off on the Pure Potency uh, of uh, Pine Pollen. Wow. That's a good deal, man, because that's pretty pricey stuff. This is a real deal. Stamina, balance, and strength. So buy one Elk Antler Gold. Or, yeah, get yourself 50% off on Pure Potency thing. Pretty cool. It's uh, right there if you click on the front page of One Radio Network, and uh, uh, they'll hook you right up there and, and have some fun. And also on uh, Daniel's site, here's a little primer on colostrum. Colostrum is this amazing food, and of course we have it in a powdered form, so it comes kind of like a dried milk, although technically colostrum is not really a dairy product. It is the sort of first food for mammals. It's made where dairy products are made in the body, or it comes from that same place, but not really a milk, even though it comes from udders. And, of course, all mammals produce colostrum, and they produce that colostrum to feed their young mammals. Really love the idea that if we're going to have cows and we're going to milk them, that that colostrum becomes the most medicinal part of that whole system. So colostrum in human bodies does a lot of different things. But its primary stuff is it keeps the immune system in shape. So when we're using colostrum, it keeps our immune system kind of like going to the gym almost, like keeps it fit so that we can fight off infection. It's one of the things it does really helps us do really well. That's a natural, normal thing for us, but we're living in a world that really breaks our immune system down, so we need immuno allies. Probably nothing in the world supports our ability to stay antiviral the way colostrum does. That's a lovely product. We've been taking it for years. Not that that means anything to you, but we have and love it. You can click and order colostrum. And you can order the one or two kilo containers. Get on the auto ship for the best price. Any survival link right here. One radio network.com. Yes, sir. Know the source. The source. One radio network.com. It's the uh, third Tuesday of the month and Dr. Ray Pete has been kind enough to visit with us on the third Tuesday and uh, he's a rock star around here. He gets uh, probably more hits than anybody around. Just a lot of hits on the the podcast, so uh, keep your questions. Dr. Uh, Pete, I have, a, I, didn't, I have an interesting little tale about milk that I wanted to ask you about and get your opinion. In Ayurvedic medicine, they suggest that if you get raw milk that you should boil it. You know what I mean? Boil it. And I, they, they say that it helps to, let's see, what is it? It helps to absorb the fat more easily and helps um, to, if you have any bacteria or stuff that's not good from the cow, it's going to kill that. So I've been getting some raw milk and 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 doing that. And I got a new batch the other day. And in the first bottle, I pulled out a half gallon, and I boiled it, you know, just like I was, and put a little cardamom and cinnamon. And I had what I would say probably one of the worst cases of food poisonings I've ever. I mean, just it was. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And so, but I made it through. I didn't die. And a couple hours later, and I was fine. And Two or three hours I worked through it, but it was pretty terrible. I threw that bottle out, and I talked to a friend of mine who knows a lot about the raw milk thing, and and they told me that, well, some people conjecture that if you boil raw milk, that you could actually, if they have a lot of bacteria in there, you could actually make that more toxic, and you'd be better off just warming it. Does that 
Can you comment on that comment at all? Or I, I wonder about the cardamom. Are, are you used to using that? No, no. I, I would wonder if that might not have been an allergic reaction to that. Well, well it could, though, but I've been using cardamom for a couple months, though. No, oh. it wasn't that. But is it, how could you boil milk and have a get poisoned by it? I, I don't think it would make it worse. I, I've okay. for years uh, used either uh, raw milk or boiled milk. In, in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, we often uh, used boiled milk uh, because we didn't know the cows. But uh, huh. uh, when you have your own cow or, or know. know the cow, then raw milk is fine. So if you're using raw milk from a source and you don't know exactly where, you know everything about the farm because you're not there, you think it's a reasonable practice to boil it. Uh, yeah, or, or at least heat it. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you can uh, uh, inactivate the germs satisfactorily just by holding it at 160 yeah, degrees. Yeah, maybe 160 or 170. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wonder what the difference is between like 170 and boiling it like 212. Is there anything that goes on in that range uh, that we care uh, about? Yeah, it uh, inactivates more proteins oh. when you boil it. Huh. Uh, and uh, there, there are theories that it uh, improves or damages the digestibility, but it probably hasn't been researched enough. And I see. So that's the Ayurvedic claim where it helps you digest it more if you boil it. That's, that's where they're coming from, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, in Mexico, lots of people feel that, that they just wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. be comfortable with raw milk. Yeah. It was the strangest experience, you know, and that's uh, that's all I had for dinner was the milk. So it wasn't anything else, but, you know, what do you do with a situation like that? I guess you just go onward through the fog because you don't really know what happened, do you? you just um, Yeah, I, <laughs> I have a couple of times got uh, fairly sick from uh, uh, using uh, uh, an organic raw milk, uh, and I think it was because the uh, the cows were eating uh, weeds that I was allergic to. Oh, that's possible, huh? Possible. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Now, right now, you're just doing, you're still doing milk, but you just do the store-bought organic milk, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you heat that at all, or just warm it up a little? Um, oh, uh, yeah, often mm-hmm. I'll warm it to have with uh, coffee, but uh, most of it I drink cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, here's an email from Nick, and right on the milk question, I know that Dr. Pete is a big fan of milk, including low-fat milk. Does Dr. Feet drink milk with added vitamins? And if so, does he have any concern with the vitamins and our emulsifiers used? Is there a specific brand or manufacturer that he trusts? Um, well, I don't really trust them, but I, I drink <laughs> it because it, it's available. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm very concerned about the uh, possible emulsifiers they use to, to get the vitamins in the solution. Uh, but uh, still, I, I have been using uh, the commercial vitamin-added milk for many years uh, and apparently haven't had uh, serious problems yeah. with it. Yeah, lots of them add that, that vitamin D, right? Is that what they say, they add yeah. vitamin D? And A. And O and A, too. Mm-hmm. And they have to use often use emulsifiers to make that happen? Um. I, I'm not sure uh, uh, dairies haven't been uh, 
willing to give me the details of how they do it. <laughs> I see. Follow-up question was, did Dr. Pete drink homogenized milk or some type that is non-homogenized and perhaps low-temperature pasteurized? Um, yeah, I like the low-temperature pasteurized. Uh, and uh, usually I, I drink the homogenized just mm-hmm. because it's convenient not mm-hmm. to have to shake it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does homogenization make it more difficult in general uh, for humans to, to take milk? I, I don't think so. Don't think I've, so. Seen, I've seen the research that says there is a difference, but uh, I don't uh, notice any difference. So that's just a, a, a myth that's been going on for the last 50 years, I guess. Huh? Uh, yeah, because our digestion uh, effectively homogenizes it. Uh, the, the bile acids are an emulsifier that, that break up the particles very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I wanted to ask a little bit about sugar. Um, we, we were taught over 20, 30, or 30 years that, you know, white sugar and white flour, you know, are just terrible. It's just, they'll just kill you. Just don't eat white sugar and white flour, and then you're going to be fine. But but you don't seem to be that much of a, um, against white sugars, per se, are you? Um, uh, no, not at all. But uh, uh, the... The evidence was very clear that uh, they were using a bleach to, to make flour white, <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the, the the bleach was nerve toxic. And uh, they demonstrated uh, dogs would have convulsions mm. uh, and yeah. other fits. I remember uh, that. Yeah, I remember that. Oh. That's but, where that whole white flour thing came from. Uh, yeah, but they changed to a, a less toxic way of bleaching the, mm-hmm. the flour mm-hmm. so it isn't a, a problem now and the, the white sugar uh, I don't know of any uh, bleaching process other than uh, using carbon activated charcoal uh, to uh, remove some of the color material but that isn't actually bleaching it mm-hmm. it's uh, filtering it out mm-hmm. so say a good white sugar like a beet sugar organic is it really doing something good for the body, or is it just adding a little sweet that's kind of fun, nice? Um, it's uh, sugar, which is uh, uh, very, very highly purified. It's uh, pu- more pure than uh, many of the uh, reagent chemicals they use in, in research labs. Uh, it's uh, uh, washed to a, a p- crystalline purity, hmm. uh, and, and so it's... Uh, almost perfectly free of allergenic material, which uh, brown sugar uh, can cause a, a really intense inflammatory reactions mm-hmm. for sensitive people. Uh, and molasses, even worse. And molasses gets gets the uh, uh, essentially the dirt, uh, smoke residue and such from, from burning the, the cane fields. Uh, but the, the, the white sugar is, is uh, uh, very safe. And <clears throat> since it uh, has none of the uh, uh, problems of, of fat, it, it uh, doesn't break down into uh, inflammation-promoting material uh, uh, like all all fats do if you uh, are under stress and have eaten too many fats. Uh, so it, it's safe for diabetics, for example. Uh, 150 years ago uh, in uh, France and England, there were 
doctors who cured diabetic uh, terminal diabetic patients, far advanced people wasting away by giving them as much sugar as they wanted, oh, uh, which wow. was uh, about um, <laughs> 11 or 12 ounces of uh, white sugar uh, added to the regular meals of uh, potatoes, beef, vegetables, and such. Uh, and they were, they were curing diabetes like that? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, two articles on my website uh, describe yeah, yeah. Uh, their experiences. I've seen that. Uh, and uh, how it works is that it uh, suppresses the breakdown of fat in your body. And it's the free fatty acids are constantly, when you're under stress, they are constantly killing the pancreatic uh, beta cells that produce insulin. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you, you have uh, a stressful event, uh, produce free fatty acids, they kill off your, your insulin-producing cells. And so you're uh, unable to oxidize the fat, and it, it keeps you under stress. And you can break the cycle, as those doctors showed, by uh, letting them have as much sugar as they crave. Mm. Uh, that uh, in itself provides uh, energy. Uh, th their blood sugar might go up to 400 milligrams per cent, or so four or five times higher than normal. Uh, but in doing that, it's providing the cells the energy they need to stop the stress reaction, uh, and that stops breaking down the fat, which is killing uh, the uh, pancreatic cells. Uh, and wow. glu glucose happens to stimulate the uh, creation of stem cells, uh, beta cells in the pancreas. So sugar causes the cells to be renewed. Uh, free fatty acids kill them. Uh, and so if you can break the cycle, keep your free fatty acids down, the glucose is going to renew hmm. your pancreas. Hmm. Oh. I, I guess you're not often asked to speak at the American Diabetic Association dinners? <laughs> or no? Wow, I, I mean, that is so contrary, Dr. Pete, with what's going on in the, in the world of diabetes. Uh, uh, yeah, about 50, 40, 50 years ago in Israel, uh -huh. uh, some physiologists figured out, realized that it's free fatty acids that cause diabetes, not sugar. Free fatty acids. Uh, and, and you produce free fatty acids uh, when you're under stress. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, diabetics can't get the, the glucose into their cells, and so they are... Uh, uh, having the equivalent of hypoglycemia, except it's uh, uh, neuroglucopenia. Uh, their, their brain can't get uh, glucose, and, and so it sends out signals to uh, increase the food supply, uh, and that, that leads to the breakdown of fat and production of toxins. My goodness. So that is why some people could put on fat by taking too much sugar, that process, uh, right? Uh, oh, yeah. If, yeah. if you eat more, more than uh, than you need, mm -hmm. you will put on fat for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I I found some uh, the organic uh, beet sugar after you you kind of recommended possibly that might be a good choice. Put in uh, my milk, and I really like it. I mean, it's just it kind of tastes great and. 
I'm not, you know, I'm not dying or anything eating sugar, so I think I'm okay. Yeah, and the beet sugars are mostly, well, some of them are grown in California, but there, a lot of it is grown in Idaho and up into the Dakotas. And in, in the mountain areas, especially uh, inland, uh, the rainfall is depleted in deuterium. And huh. deuterium uh, research in the last, uh, uh, ever since 1950 actually, but in the last five years there's been new research showing that heavy water yeah. uh, deuterium uh, is age-promoting. Yes. And, and when the uh, rainfall has uh, uh, rain, rained out some of the heavy water, uh, the inland, the last rain to fall, is lighter water. And, and uh, so beet sugar has less deuterium than tropical cane sugar. That's pretty cool. Man, I like that. Because a lot of the beets are up there in that part of the world. Is that where the big beet producers are? I I, a lot of them in, mm. in Idaho mm-hmm. and, and up uh, in, in the uh, mm. more inland areas. Yeah. Uh, I wonder... Do we know how uh, how to get um, how to get deuterium out of the water that we're currently drinking? Um, uh, yeah, it's been done uh, for for the uh, nuclear bomb industry, for, for <laughs> example. But uh, people have been trying to figure out ways to uh, to do it to do it on a yeah. uh, more practical scale. But uh, for many years, I've figured that uh, taking as much water as possible in the form of milk and orange juice, ah. uh, the the cow and the orange tree are acting as filters. As they age, they accumulate deuterium, and the water that passes through them is somewhat deuterium-depleted. Oh, so... So the cows and the oranges could be our, 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 our deuterium filter. Uh, that's how I've been doing. That's it how you've been doing years. it. Yeah, oh, that's very interesting. I don't, I don't quite understand how nature. You know, I always like to kind of go back to God or nature. Doctor Pete would would come up with water that would have something in there that wouldn't be good for us. I mean, I don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? Deuterium might. Why yeah. well, we we yeah, need water to live? Why would there be water with more? That are, that's heavier than what we need. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, One of those. The, the, nature does tend to filter it out. Uh, oh, it does. The, the rain process, uh, you uh, evaporate uh, selectively the water with less deuterium, and then you rain it out uh, selectively so that the last rainfall. The interior of Antarctica has the least deuterium in the rain in the snowfall the interior uh, but, uh, the interior uh, uh, but um, up up in the uh, upper uh, interior states of the US uh, around uh, the dakotas for mm-hmm. example uh, they're they're the most depleted very interesting here's an email for you from the 30s through to the peak of maybe in the 70s, many bodybuilders have taken large amounts of desiccated liver tablets to reportedly boost their ability to exercise and build muscle. Does Mr. Pete think there's a possibility of the large amounts of uh, hem, 
HME, iron, HME, iron found in liver becoming a problem of iron toxicity for athletes using high doses of these supplements, or is that form of iron less likely to cause inflammatory issues and relatively safe to use? Uh, yeah, the heme group is how we use it in the blood, and it, it's uh, the iron atom is isolated uh, by the carbon uh, framework. <clears throat> Uh, and so when you <coughs> oh, when you eat meat, liver, for example, uh, the uh, iron is isolated until it gets right into your bloodstream and, and cells. But if you take an iron supplement, uh, the free iron ions uh, react in your stomach, for example. Uh, people have analyzed uh, multiple... Uh, vitamin mineral uh, capsules or tablets mm-hmm. uh, and found that uh, they were adding iron uh, in, a, in a tablet or capsule along with vitamin A and B12 and so on. Uh, and the, the vitamins were destroyed right in the tablet before it uh, was taken. Uh, but uh, if th- that same thing happens in your stomach, if you take uh, an ionized uh, iron form it will destroy the nutrients in your stomach or intestine before they're even ingested, uh, digested. Speaking of bodybuilders, have you ever seen, Dr. Pete, anything over the years that people that want to just build muscles and are working at it, you know, kind of focused on it for whatever reason, to take supplementally that would would help them and not cause them any harm? Um, Anything? well, doing the exercise in in the proper way so you don't uh, lower your uh, androgens uh, will um, m- make the exercise more efficient mm-hmm. at restoring tissue. <clears throat> um, but the uh, uh, the anti-stress uh, program, uh, everything that <clears throat> keeps your cortisol low, uh, leaves the uh, androgens uh, such as testosterone and DHEA uh, active. Uh, c- keeping keeping the cortisol low is uh, something that the Germans uh, discovered in the 1960s, and they were accused of of doping hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, their their androgen level seemed impossibly high uh-huh. for an athlete. But uh, it turns out that if you just don't exercise so hard. Uh, your androgens are much higher. So they they figured out a way how to how to how to hmm, kind of strengthen the muscle, put pressure on it, uh, resistance on it, but not too much so the cortisol level didn't get too high, which um, turned it around, means, turned it around the other way. Yeah, the, huh. the muscle when it's properly stimulated is actually producing testosterone or hmm. or androgens. Uh, but if it's stressed, the muscle t- turns around and produces cortisol. Wow. How do we learn how to produce, do the muscle the right way? Is there a way to do that? Um, uh, the concentric uh, contraction is one thing that protects the muscle. If you uh, lift a weight and then drop it without uh, letting it down gradually, it, it's the... Uh, lengthening of the muscle under stress that damages the muscle. Uh, and so if you uh, 
walk or run uphill, uh, that is uh, uh, the dominant uh, action is concentric. But if you walk downhill, uh, that injures the muscle because you're uh, stretching the muscle under pre- under pressure. So concentric up, uh, contraction actually strengthens the muscle, makes it bigger. And that would be when you pull the weight up. Say you have a 25-pound weight down at the bottom and you're pulling it up and you're doing a curl. Then would that be concentric? Uh, yeah, and then, uh, and, but then, and then, and then, if you just drop it down slower, you're saying that just makes it that's stretching the muscle uh, huh. while it resists, uh, and that's doing microscopic damage, uh, and and that uh, uh, cortisol it, it it damages the mitochondria, so it produces less energy, and they've shown that in old people, doing concentric contractions only, they can create new mitochondria and restore the energy system. That's pretty cool. Is there any way to do that without just dropping the weight? I guess I don't know how else would you do it. How (laughs) else would you do it? They make machines that will do it, or you can ride a bicycle uphill and coast downhill. Oh, wow. That's cool. (laughs) But if you were doing like a chin-up, I like to do pull-ups, right? So if I pull up, that's my concentric. Um, So how would I get out of there without without uh, going the other way. Hmm. Um, yeah, the gravity stretching the resisting muscle. Yeah. Uh, I have to think about that. Maybe I could just drop, right? Just drop. Uh, uh, yeah, but that, you don't want to... Uh, <laughs> no, but I wouldn't do that. Have, uh, the, the stress on your legs of, of dropping yeah. is probably kind of good. I'll think about that one. Here's one for you. This is a good one. Along with diet and lifestyle that actively reduces serotonin levels, are there any foods and supplements that people experiencing a sharp deficiency of dopamine can use to safety restore the body's healthy levels? Uh, to restore dopamine? Uh, That's right. Uh, Let's see. Uh, supplements, yeah. Um, reducing, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the important thing is to uh, limit your tryptophan intake uh, as far as you can without uh, becoming protein deficient. That's why I advocate gelatin because gelatin contains uh, no tryptophan, which is the source for uh, serotonin. Ah, so that, that, that gelatin has uh, the protein it, it, without the tryptophan. Uh, yeah, and it has the precursor f- for dopamine. I thought we needed a tryptophan to go to sleep. Um, no, no, not really. It, it can, like uh, histamine, too much serotonin keeps you awake. What's the generally the, the, the missing hormones that folks who have uh, insomnia, sleep problems, which is epidemic in our culture, what are those hormones that are missing? And can those just be taken supplementally to, to help? Uh, thyroid actually is the main thing. Thyroid, wow. Um, many years ago, uh, sleep... Uh, researchers uh, found that uh, some people never got below the the second level of of the four stages of sleep, uh, and uh, thyroid deficient people uh, went through the night without ever reaching the the deep, the deep sleep thing. stages. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and and um, I, I found myself uh, that on a trip when I would uh, have trouble going to sleep. Uh, from driving all day, mm-hmm. 
that if I took uh, five or ten micrograms of uh, T3 thyroid, I would go to sleep uh, perfectly in, in about five minutes. Oh, just a little hit of that T3, five to ten grams? Uh, micrograms. Micro, micrograms, wow. Yeah. A microgram is what, a thousandth of a gram? Yeah. Wow. That's uh, no, no, a millionth of, millionth of a gram. Wow. How much would five to ten, I mean, that would be like just like a, just a very small, small, small amount, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, they make uh, little little tablets that are five, five or ten micrograms. Of T3? Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I've, uh, I've seen it work several times in in other people. Uh, I always feel free to give uh, thyroid to doctors <laughs> <laughs> because they they are supposed to know how to handle it. But uh, uh, doctors with uh, uh, pain pains that, that they couldn't control or insomnia uh, have remarked that uh, they've never seen such a quick relief uh, better better than morphine one doctor said when he supplemented with the T3 mm-hmm. wow here's a question for Dr. Ray Pete what does increasing thyroid have on testosterone and vice versa the effect of increasing testosterone on thyroid levels also the relative amount of increase of increase someone might expect to see in any difference in men and women so let's see. Increasing thyroids have on testosterone and vice versa. Um, uh, yeah, too much thyroid can uh, create stress and make your uh, tes- testosterone uh, uh, become uh, wasted uh, or, or not produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, not enough uh, thyroid uh, will cause the testosterone to be. Uh, converted into estrogen. Uh, estrogen blocks the secretion of, of thyroid from the gland, uh, and uh, uh, testosterone overlaps with progesterone. Progesterone has a powerfully uh, releasing function uh, on the thyroid gland, so that when when it has been blocked by estrogen. Uh, a dose of progesterone can reactivate the gland. Uh, testosterone has some of that uh, uh, supporting function for the thyroid, but not as effective as, as progesterone. Well done. What does Dr. Pete recommend for oh, corns and calluses? Know anything about corns and calluses? Oh, I'm putting something on to, to soften the, mm-hmm. the callus, I think, is the... Uh, Main thing, uh, pr- protect the, the the cause. Uh, bad shoes uh, cause the uh, uh, callus to form. Uh, so if, if you get the, the right kind of, of shoe and then put something on to, to soften the mm-hmm. material, mm-hmm. Uh, salicylic acid and, and urea are things that have commonly been used. Thanks for having Dr. Pete on once a month. Well, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. Thank Dr. Pete. How do we take the edge off of learned helplessness. Um, in one of my newsletters, I went over uh, several of the things that they've tested in animals. Uh, thyroid hormone is one. Uh, progesterone is another. Uh, uh, an improved diet that uh, uh, shifts you 
away slightly from the serotonin uh, side of things because uh, serotonin is uh, at the heart of uh, learned helplessness. Uh, Harm avoidance is how one psychologist uh, described the the serotonin dominant condition, Uh, but uh, learned helplessness is the extreme of harm avoidance. What is learned helplessness? Uh, With animals, uh, they would uh, torture them and not let them escape whatever the awful situation was, such as uh, being thrown into a a tank of water and uh, uh, forced to uh, swim or drown. Uh, If if they uh, had uh, never... uh, had the experience before uh, being uh, uh, put in a hopeless situation, uh, animals would sometimes let themselves drown in just a few minutes. But if they had ever uh, been in a situation like that, that they managed to escape after being uh, threatened with a deadly uh, condition, one escape experience would uh, change their perspective, which would change their physiology, wow. so that they would then be able to sometimes swim for uh, a whole day, many hours, uh, uh, instead of just a few minutes. So that, that is one of the uh, interesting aspects of physiology that uh, is usually, uh, well, almost never considered in medicine, but it can make a difference between Uh, resisting for maybe five minutes or for 10 or 15 hours, uh, a total difference in in ability to survive just by changing your uh, mental uh, picture of how how things work. How how things work. Wow. Man, oh man, oh man. Hi, Dr. Pete and Patrick. Can Dr. Pete comment on how hydrogen might work with the oxygen and possibly CO2 does hydrogen affect the thyroid? Uh, yeah, it seems to work. The, the body has uh, dehydrogenase enzymes that are in the habit of receiving their electrons from uh, fat or sugar metabolism. But uh, some people uh, believe that they can receive electrons directly from molecular hydrogen. Uh, and uh, that seems to fit with the the experience of using uh, hydrogen gas uh, as an anti-inflammatory agent uh, during surgery, for example. It, it seems to reduce uh, the inflammation and, and stress. Yes, they're using it in uh, some places for stroke victims. You know, after stroke, they, they feed them the hydrogen along with the oxygen and it helps them to recover faster. Uh, yeah, in, in my interpretation of what's happening, it's working the way sugar does. Sugar <laughs> provides really? a, a, a very generous amount of uh, electron energy. Hydrogen does that directly, bypassing uh-huh. some of the enzymes. Uh, very interesting. So, that's, you know, on the CO2, she had mentioned that. How are, so, so people don't do that anymore. You said the fire department did the CO2 for people years ago, but nobody does that anymore, CO2 with oxygen? I I have heard of two or three hospitals in the United States and and several in in Europe 
uh, uh, Germany uh, uh, about uh, 30 years ago. Uh, someone uh, said that uh, her father had a, a stroke uh, while traveling. Uh-huh. Uh, he was 90 years old or so and, and went into a hospital in Germany and they put him on carbon dioxide therapy. He uh, recovered and went back to finish his world tour. Uh, but uh, it's uh, still uh, pr- pretty widely used in, in Germany and uh, Eastern Europe. Hmm. Dr. Ray Pete is with us. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. He's here on the third Tuesday. Good for us. We've, good for us. Here's a good one for you. Some sources advise that wearing a hat to keep the head warm slows the aging process. Could there be anything to this? Um, yeah, uh, also uh, putting on a, a soft wool cap uh, for sleeping. Uh, the the head is uh, uh, the most intensely metabolizing organ. The, the kidneys and the heart and the brain have a very high metabolic rate, and so uh, your head loses a lot of energy. And uh, <laughs> uh, the big animals... Uh, one of the reasons they live longer is that their geometry has less surface area for losing heat. Uh, a mouse has a very little mass to surface, and so they radiate a tremendous and lose by conduction to the air a tremendous uh, fraction of their biological energy. Uh, so, in effect, they're they're living <laughs> beyond their means. Mm. Uh, they uh, spend energy uh, faster than, than they can fun. use it, in fact. Uh, and putting a, a, a n- nice uh, woolly hat on uh, either either in the daytime or at night is reducing the stress, basically making you keep more of your heat. Uh, at the average temperature, uh, 70 degrees, say, a, a person is leaving... Losing uh, more than half of their body energy, according to some experiments, uh, by radiation, not not just by skin contact. At the top of their head. Uh, no, uh, all all, all of their the body head. is losing it, right. but the head is is the hottest, uh, and so is uh, uh, the, the worst leak of energy. Perhaps we, perhaps that's where some of the old you see some of the old time way back where people would wear these caps at to sleep or something. Maybe that's what that was about. Oh, oh yeah. I've, I've been recommending a, a sleeping cap for... Oh, so you're, you're all into this stuff. I had no idea. Sleeping cap. I didn't, even know, I didn't even know you could buy a sleeping cap. Uh, they, they, they should be soft Soft wool. wool. Yeah. 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 I bought some nice soft wool, beautiful organic socks for last, you know, to prepare for last winter because I don't have any heat in my home, Doc. And I, I, there's only one problem with that. If you wash them and dry them, they, 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 they're big enough for to fit on your dog. You don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I, I wasted like 30 bucks for these socks, and I washed them and dried them, and they, they, they reduced about 20% of the original size. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh my yeah, if, if you rinse them in, in cold water. That's the way to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, do the wool light thing or use the cold wool water and just hang them up. Well, I'm going to do that if I buy another pair. But wool's, yeah, wool's kind of good for those kind of things. Why is that? The shape of the fiber. Ah. Uh, uh, c- cotton is good, but 
have they treated uh, some will that has been treated too that, that it isn't really as good as the right. crude, crude natural yeah. wool. Yeah. There's something about the organic wool and pillows that they advertise about, let's see, wicking the, the perspiration a little bit and doesn't absorb in there? Something like um, that. I, I, Is there something to supposedly, that? Supposedly, yeah, the, the wool fiber has a catalytic function. I, I think it's ah. not quite as good as activated charcoal, but <laughs> uh, it, it can have a, a bacteria-suppressing effect. Ah. Uh, wood fiber a uh, butcher block made out of uh, natural wood has a self uh, sanitizing effect because the uh, the structure of the wood uh, cellulose uh, uh, units uh, is is toxic to bacteria interesting uh, I, I think the wool microscopic structure has that same uh, ah. bacteria suppressing effect on the butcher block did that still work if you put some kind of a surface on it like they like to do or do you have to just leave no. it a la just wood uh, just uh, yeah it has to be a natural structured wood uh, anything that seals the the fine cellulose structure uh, that'll stain up pretty well though won't it probably huh probably uh, stains uh, no yeah, the, the the traditional blocks I've seen uh, looked, looked clean after many years how be done huh. what does doctor think of is a good way Ah, to improve libido in men and women after age 40. Is taking DHA, progesterone, pregnenolone a good approach? Um, uh, yeah, if they're in the right quantity. Uh, I've known a couple uh, aging men who took 25 milligram tablets of DHEA and their estrogen became as high as... Uh, a young cycling woman, <laughs> you don't want and, that. Uh, and their livers enlarged. Oh. Uh, so you don't want to take more of the androgen uh, than is optimal. Like uh, a, a young man produces uh, about 12 milligrams per day of DHEA mm-hmm. and about four or five milligrams of testosterone. Uh, and so if if a uh, a person takes more than that amount, uh, it's going to uh, raise their estrogen and uh, have a counterproductive effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, pregnenolone is, is the safest one to use. Uh, I, I experimented for a year taking about an average of three or 4,000 milligrams of pregnenolone per day. Uh, had no side effects at all. Three or 4,000 Milligrams? Uh, yeah, where, where 30 milligrams is a full Whoa. replacement dose. I, I was just for fun taking that. Just for fun. That. And what did you experience? I mean, were there good benefits from taking that much pregnenolone? Uh, uh, very high stress resistance. Huh. Felt, felt very good. Exuberant. Pregnenolone. Hmm. <laughs> Pretty safe. You did three to 4,000 milligrams a day for years? I for one year, one year. I, I oh. ate a kilogram. I, I had bought a, brought back a kilogram from Mexico, and I ate it during one year. <laughs> and it helps to, it helps you your body to deal with the stressful situations better. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that was my experiment. Uh, my uh, skin uh, was sort of rejuvenated looking uh, during that year. I, I had got saggy skin around my eyes. Yeah. 
and that snapped back into shape. With the pregnenolone? Yeah. Interesting. Is Dr. Pete familiar with uh, centrophenoxine? Central, P-H-E-N-O-X-I-N-E, a way to remove lipofusion from the brain. There's a study with rats um, that Damas is working. If not, I don't know. Could his research I, for the next show or give his opinion? That yeah, show, I, show, I, oh, that claims it's working. Sorry, I misread that. That claims it's working. I, I've seen the experiments described, but... Uh, uh, I studied uh, the, the production and metabolism of uh, lipofuscin as part of my thesis, and so I've been interested in it for a long time. And uh, one uh, group found that uh, vitamin E was removing it from nerve cells, uh, which is much safer than centrophenoxine. Uh, but mm. after they demonstrated that their uh, vitamin E treatment was doing it, uh, they uh, did a control test. Uh, they had been administering vitamin E dissolved in ethanol, and their ethanol control removed the lipofuscin uh, almost as well as the uh, vitamin E in ethanol. Uh, so a very tiny amount of uh, alcohol uh, seems to do the job very very safely like vitamin E. Excellent, excellent. This is a good one. George wants to know, many people are proponents of taking black cumin seed oil fairly regular for uh, overgrowth of candida and other fungus and, and bacterial. Does Dr. Pete have any experience with black cumin seed oil? No experience at all. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had a lot of experience with flowers of sulfur and candida and other fungus. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that before, flowers of sulfur. What is that exactly? Um, it's precipitated uh, or uh, uh, anything uh, that produces a microscopically fine powder. Uh, ground uh, crystalline sulfur does not work. It has, has to be the non-crystalline uh, fumed or, or precipitated uh, sulfur. They call it flowers of sulfur. Mm-hmm. And what, what kind? And that's that's like an antibiotic, isn't it? Did you say? Um, well, uh, the the fungus has uh, exoenzymes that it secretes huh. uh, to uh, as part of its nutritional uh, program, uh, and these enzymes uh, convert the uh, uh, sulfane form uh, in the flowers of sulfur into sulfuric acid or hydrogen sulfide first, and the hydrogen sulfide acts locally on the fungus to poison it. But the trace amount of hydrogen sulfide that it produces in your intestine, for example, has simply an antioxidant function. Hydrogen sulfide is one of Hmm. uh, our uh, uh, intrinsic substances like nitric oxide. Uh, It's produced... Uh, 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 by our own enzymes. So we tolerate it, and it has an antioxidant function. But uh, locally for the the fungus cell, it's very poisonous. Uh, So uh, the fungus kills itself by uh, the way way it metabolizes sulfur. Dr. Ray P. Patrick Timpone, we're going to wrap it up and uh, do a quick little break, and then we're going to get all the rest of the emails. So stay right there. 
OneRadioNetwork.com. Did you know the AquaCure Brown's Gas Machine reduces oxidative stress? Hydrogen is the world's best antioxidant by a long shot. Hmm. First of all, it's 700 times uh, smaller than something like uh, CoQ10, 400 times smaller than vitamin C, things like that. So it can literally go, the hydrogen molecule can literally go through everything in your body and go right into the very DNA and repair it. First of all, you're repairing oxidative damage, but you're also reducing or eliminating free radicals. Now, we're only the bad free radicals, which is another reason why hydrogen is, is good, because you actually have free radicals in your body that you want to keep. Example, nitrous oxide. The oxidative stress, is that the main thing that damages the, the DNA and causes the regeneration to stop, you know, youthing or getting older, immune organs? Is that at the base George Weissman, of most of the issues? It's one of the Just bases, one of them. But this comes back to that uh, regeneration thing that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. The cells won't regenerate. You won't have stem cells and that sort of thing uh-huh. if you haven't got enough hydrogen. And if our body is not generating enough hydrogen, we get dehydrated. Dehydrated. Lack of hydrogen. The AquaCure machine. 10% off promo code One Radio. Use the promo code One Radio. off in our store, OneRadioNetwork.com. Wayne Blakely, you have a wide variety of different products that we promote. I think there's 14 different ones, if that's correct. Why so many? I mean, isn't a probiotic just a probiotic? No, there is well known. There's 28 probiotics out there that all help the body, Mm -hmm. that really help the body. They're supposed to be in a healthy human being, including the bacilluses, which are the lactic acid producers. They produce food nutrients. And then there's bifidobacterium that helps form the molecules correctly. So, so there's different aspects of what you need, like, for instance, alfalfa. Alfalfa is a great product. It's got high in vitamin K, high in vitamin A, and it's totally safe to consume alfalfa. The problem with alfalfa is it's hard to digest. So we take alfalfa and pre-digest it into amino acids, enzymes and amino acids, so our body can assimilate it much quicker. It's great for vascular system, bone production, things like this. Oh, that's great. Alfalfa, that's just one of the many products you'll see in this store of the Living Streams products on OneRadioNetwork.com. Also, they have a Moringa, and that comes in the, I think it's a half quart, maybe a quart, I think it's a quart, and Moringa is, uh, well, there's a lot of cool things going on with Moringa, and again, they, uh, Wayne was able to put it into a form with the probiotics where it's digestible and it's all broken down and you can actually, I mean, they sell Moringa powder, Moringa, Moringa tinctures, all kinds of stuff, but we think this is a really cool uh, cool way to get Moringa. And you could read about all the benefits and it's a food and like the alfalfa, I think you do pretty fun and, and uh, play around with it. Sometimes I just take big swigs of it. I kind of like doing it. I don't know. I've never, it'd be fun to do an experiment and really like really doing a lot of Moringa, you know over a year or so, like Dr. Pete does sometimes, but I haven't done that yet. Anyway, there's some cool things there in our store, uh, Living Streams. Uh, two of the foods are the Moringa and the um, um, and the alfalfa in our store, OneRadioNetwork.com. We talk about your health, wealth, and well-being on OneRadioNetwork.com. The third Tuesday of the month, Dr. Uh, Ray Pete is allotted some time for us, and we're very grateful, Dr. Pete, that you do this. Thank you so much. Oh, here's somebody who wants to know if you get mucus drinking all that milk. 
um, mucus is our uh, defense, first defense barrier uh, against uh, alien substances. Uh, so uh, our uh, mouth, uh, nose, uh, uh, respiratory tract, intestine, uh, every, everything is coated with a, a protective layer of mucus. And if you get bad milk or if you're allergic to something in the milk, mm. uh, you will produce uh, a, a copious amount. Uh, uh, when I eat lettuce, for example, I get a, a very congested uh, cough, a tremendous amount of, of mucus, uh, and uh, anything that irritates your digestive system. Uh, raw, raw vegetables are one of the worst yeah. things for, for irritation. But uh, if a person is allergic to something in the milk, uh, it will produce uh, more mucus than normal. But uh, I think uh, a lot of people uh, uh, just don't like the, the concept of uh, uh, consuming an animal secretion. Yes, I understand. Now, now, but there's is, doesn't mucus coat all the stomach and everything? Isn't that one of the protective things? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, our uh, stomach digestive acid would digest our stomach. Mucus protects against it, yeah, and, yeah. and mu- mucus uh, catches histamine, for example, and, and uh, should protect against it. Well, when I had my little milk thing, Doc, I I had a big, big tablespoon of charcoal. Boy, that it felt like that really settled things down pretty quickly. It was miraculous. Boy, it's good to have that around, isn't it? Activated charcoal. Uh, yeah, it um, not only binds. Toxins, but it it can chemically break them down. Really? Well, or especially if you're traveling, right? Have some of that charcoal. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you come up with? Here's one for you. Doesn't sugar rip arterial arterial walls, which cholesterol then patches up? No, no. Uh, sugar, sugar. You say sugar. That's what the email uh, was saying. Sugar. No, no, no. Doesn't do that. But so the whole metabolic syndrome of too many carbs producing sugar that inflames the arteries and the cholesterol comes in, that's just a not a valid a valid a meme paradigm. Uh, uh, yeah, thousands of years ago, doctors noticed that uh, people with what they called diabetes had sweet urine, and so they called it the sugar disease. And uh, in in the nineteenth century, uh, the sugar disease. Uh, the, since sugar was on the market by by eighteen hundred, mm-hmm. uh, doctors said, "Oh, you you mustn't let the the patient with sugar disease have any sugar at all." And so they would uh, lock the the sugar and carbohydrate away from them, which was the thing they most craved and uh, this doctor in Paris uh, just not to be cruel he thought it was cruel to uh, let a person die uh, without a taste of what they most craved and so he uh, just to be humane to his patients let them have their sugar since he knew they were going to die of their diabetes but uh, when they got all the sugar they wanted they didn't die 
So that, that, that was that was what they call now type one diabetes. Type, type one. Yeah, the, the diabetes, as originally defined, <clears throat> was a wasting disease <clears throat> in which you you couldn't build tissue because of the absence of of uh, insulin, hmm. and so you turned your muscles to sugar, and uh, the sugar was lost in the urine. Uh, and so it was a, a rapidly a fatal disease, uh, which they interrupted by by giving them all the sugar they wanted. Absolutely. So the fasting blood sugar with the blood prick, you know that thing, and then the A1C on a blood test. You're suggesting that these numbers are use your term. Are they meaningless? Uh, somewhat meaningless. The, the, hmm. If you interpret them properly, uh, you you would then. Uh, say what's happening to the sugar uh, okay why, why is the person making this sugar and you would then look for uh, the uh, fatty acids in the blood and the amount of lactic acid uh, to see if if they were uh, wasting any sugar that they were using and how much oxygen they were using and carbon dioxide in the blood uh, all of the relevant things should be tested, uh, as well as the the insulin. Uh, would be good to know uh, uh, how much insulin there is. Uh, but uh, people are often put on uh, uh, insulin treatment or other uh, diabetic drug uh, without measuring those things, so they don't actually know what what they're suffering from. So you're suggesting an A1C may be a viable thing to look at in the blood test, but you have to look at other things like the lactic and the fatty and, and really make a determination of what that is saying rather than just saying high A1C is bad and uh, cut uh, back yeah, on sugar. Yeah. Because that actually is more an indicator of fatty acid, unsaturated fatty acid breakdown. Uh, the, the glycation of proteins uh, is... Uh, not really uh, glycation in, in most cases. It's really a chemical reaction produced by the, the small fragments of polyunsaturated fats that are breaking down, producing things like acrolein, uh, which reacts and attaches to proteins and is interpreted as glycation. Uh, glycation from fat is what most of it is. <laughs> Here's a comment for you. I bought 50 pounds of white sugar a couple of days ago. I get the benefits of the sugar and get my exercise by lifting the 10-pound bags as well. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah. I buy 20-pound bags and people in the supermarket glare at me. <laughs> they say, what are you doing eating that sugar? You know you're going to kill yourself, fellow. Yeah. That's that's hilarious. Now, now though... It, so what's the difference, like honey, maple syrup? What's the difference with these foods? Are these guys uh, generally good guys? Uh, they they contain lots of nutrients, mm -hmm. but the trouble is that they're produced by uh, high temperature dehydration uh, to make them concentrated and syrupy from the from the thin sap. Uh, oh, the, the maple syrup, yeah. Yeah, and the heating process, since the natural sap contains some amino acids and proteins, when you heat sugar in the presence of amino acids, uh, you get brown 
toxic material, uh, and it's the brown stuff which is allergenic and slightly toxic. So if you're going to do honey, you want to make sure you're going to do honey that's never been, no heat whatsoever, just honey. Well, uh, pasteurization temperature is fine. Doesn't cause oh, you can actually, oh, you can actually pasteurize honey? Huh. Uh, yeah, but when, when it reaches a, a close to the boiling temperature. That's not uh, good, yeah. I often get optic migraines, writes Robert. I think that is what they are called, where the vision gets like a wavy underwater or wavy mirror-like, the ones like in a circus. I've been trying to figure out what causes them. They often go away in about three to ten minutes. Stress, mold, toxins, any ideas I can look for? Hmm. Yeah, the intestine is is usually a trigger, uh, but it's when you're uh, uh, not getting circulation to a part of your optic uh, part of your brain, uh, uh, right close to where your optic nerve enters your your brain. Uh, You're having blood vessel spasms, and, and serotonin is involved uh, aspirin and sugar are first aid uh, for that. Getting your getting your uh, uh, serotonin under control. Uh, thyroid is long range uh, uh, preventive uh, by keeping your carbon dioxide up. It it keeps the serotonin under control. You, we, there's a there's a really cool little product where you can get coconut organic coconut milk with organic sugar. And kind of a treat. And no wonder my body likes that stuff. I mean, that's pretty good food, right? A little sugar, a little coconuts. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've known uh, quite a few people who have uh, taken sugar to sick relatives uh, who were (laughs) in hospital being deprived of (laughs) anything tasty. And one person who was uh, in very bad condition had a couple spoon tablespoons of honey uh, got up and left the hospital she felt so good that is so funny you know isn't that hilarious where we, we've commonly come across the idea that moms don't give sugar before bedtime and the kids will get all you know what I'm saying you've heard that right oh no don't yeah. do, but you know I can eat one of these uh, like not a moo this coconut and sugar in the middle of the night and go right back to sleep I mean it's like I ate nectar from the gods or something because uh, uh, yeah the blood sugar goes down at night huh. creating stress yeah all of the stress hormones rise during the night and you can minimize that with uh, for example a glass of milk mm. with honey sugar for sugar. sugar yeah you told me that uh, you mentioned that before that's what i do at night with to put a little sugar in there well man it's so great to have not it being the devil that we all thought it was um question for dr pete According to longevity researcher Aubrey de Grey in his 2007 book, ending aging ketosis can be up to 40,000 times more chemically reactive on blood sugar than glucose due to methylglycol. Any comments? I don't. What's he saying here? Do you understand this? Um, No, I I don't know what he said about uh, ketones. So enriching aging ketosis can be up to 40,000 times more chemically reactive on the blood sugar than glucose? Well, ketones can substitute for uh, glucose. The brain can use them. But uh, ketosis uh, 
often refers to the condition that the body produces itself. If you find ketones in fruits and vegetables, uh, they are very good for the brain and nerves. But if you produce the so-called ketosis, it includes uh, some things that are not at all ketones. They're called ketone bodies, but one of them uh, is a, a reactive alcohol rather than a ketone. And so the ketones you produce yourself have side effects. Uh, if you get your ketones in your diet from food, they're fine. Mm -hmm. Here's an email from Thomas. He's in Sweden. Good for Thomas. Hi, Patrick and Dr. Pete. I was wondering if Dr. Pete has any opinions about this product being sold called Carbon 60 and its claim to be an antioxidant extraordinaire. Uh, uh, they are tiny particles, buckyballs. Yeah, buckyballs, I think they are, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, those are, uh, I, I think, uh, risky because the inflammatory triggers uh, a tiny particle in a certain range can activate the inflammatory process. Uh, so uh, the, the research is extremely interesting, but I wouldn't uh, touch the stuff myself. Oh, because they're, they're nano. I mean, they're, they're made. They're nanoparticles. Uh, yeah. Ah, it's the nano thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Further, here's the second part. What does Doctor P think about the general theory about antioxidants being molecules that give an electron to a free radical? without becoming destabilized themselves, thus preventing free radicals from taking electrons and causing damage. Do we need all these antioxidants to protect us against oxidative stress, or are they a little overhyped in these uh, antioxidant supplements? Um, uh, yeah, uh, anything that stresses us increases our antioxidant system. And <clears throat> uh, the... I think the the worst damage to the body is an absence of uh, oxidative processes or reductive stress, uh, where for 50 years they've been talking about oxidative stress. Uh, I think we uh, have to avoid an excess of electrons and uh, uh, simply uh, keep our oxidative system working to consume the electrons, not to uh, try to block them with antioxidants, because the antioxidants in themselves uh, can interfere with uh, oxidative metabolism. Cancer cells are extremely well provided with antioxidant systems, and uh, that makes them dangerous and harmful. Uh, so uh, don't go overboard on mm -hmm. antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So that's why you don't You've never been a proponent of taking vitamin C, right? Uh, no, partly oh. because the uh, uh, our diet can provides uh, three thousand milligrams a, a day if you don't eat grains, uh, uh, just vegetables, meat, milk, eggs uh, will provide uh, thousands of milligrams of vitamin C daily in the form of dehydroascorbate, much of it which uh, is not in the reference books because hmm. they don't measure it. And if we do eat grains, what does that do to the dehydrate ascorbate? It, they, grains are the only major food 
that don't uh, contain uh, uh, vitamin C. Oh, I see. But but it doesn't hurt the the good stuff that we brought no. in. Okay. Uh, no. Good. In regards to aspirin, uh, here's an email for you. Um, Dr. Peter had recommended, and I once heard him speak about the form he prefers. Is it crystals or powder? He said the type he gets can be stored for a long time in the freezer. Also, can he share where he gets this from? How much would he recommend on a daily basis for an adult? Uh, of which vitamin? Aspirin. Aspirin. Oh, aspirin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what form do you like? I, I, I use just USP aspirin, but uh, salicylic acid is all right uh, if you mix it with baking soda. Mm-hmm. But uh, any aspirin that is uh, in a form that uh, doesn't choke you, it shouldn't be in a fine powder. But I use crystalline aspirin USP, and I try to average about 300 milligrams a day. And wh- what, why do you take that? Um, just because it, uh, it protects against uh, anything inflammatory, pretty much. Hmm. Crystalline USB aspirin, 300 milligrams a day. So so the aspirin that the docs are giving the guys for the heart and the blood thing, the baby aspirin, is there, any, is there anything to that? I, I think the amount is too small for most people. Uh, and if you take vitamin K, you don't have to worry about uh, the, the bleeding thing from chronic aspirin use. And vitamin K is in... Cheese, some cheeses. Uh, yeah, aged cheese is a good source. Aged cheese, yeah, especially the blue stuff. Didn't that have vitamin K? The blue stuff. Yep, yeah. Yeah, the blue stinky stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> can Can Doctor Pete explain why the veins in the back of the hands are an indication of estrogen status? Ooh. Well, uh, stress, where you, uh, uh, for example, might have low blood sugar. Uh, in anything that weakens smooth muscle contraction can do it, but estrogen is uh, a, a very common cause of that uh, weakening of the smooth muscles. Uh, varicose veins are an extreme example where chronic estrogen weakens the muscle. Uh, absence of progesterone uh, will let the, the veins bulge. Absence. Of, so, so the cure... So if the, if the veins are bulging in the back of the hands, you would want to take... How would you balance that estrogen out? Well, well, sometimes just a, a glass of milk mm-hmm. or orange juice or, or some soup or something to get your salt and sugar up. That, that's often enough to do it. But uh, if it's chronic, uh, then correcting your, your whole diet and making sure your thyroid function is good. The old thyroid again. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Palma's... What are Dr. Pete's thoughts on the cause and function? I have one and would like to remove it, but I would first like to know why my body made it, and will it just make another if I remove the one I have? There's also uh, uh, many dogs get these little lipomas. The vets say they just don't worry about them. They're just little. Well, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think they're the same for the dogs too? Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hypothyroid people sometimes, if they have very high uh, fats in their blood, uh, that supposedly increases the, the the risk of forming them. But uh, I don't think there's any harm in removing them. 
You don't think so? Yeah. Here's one for you. I have been in extreme estrogen dominance all my life and had many surgeries for stage 4 endometriosis. I've had a complete hysterectomy five years ago and been taking two grams of transcendental estradiol daily since the surgery as well as vaginal estradiol. I stopped these. Um, let's see. What's the question here? Uh, Hmm. All of the women I've known who had endometriosis over the last 50 years have uh, stopped having all of their symptoms when they corrected their thyroid problem. Thyroid. Yeah. They go on to talk about the progesterone. and Do I need higher doses to combat the high estrogen? So they're wondering about how much progesterone. But you're, you're saying you would just definitely go right to the to the thyroid and look at that. Uh, yeah, and check your uh, estrogen levels. The thyroid should bring the estrogen down under control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could Dr. Pete explain how someone could detox DDT or other pesticides out of the body? Mm-hmm. I would keep Keeping your liver function good is the basic detox method. Uh, eating a balanced diet, keeping your thyroid function up, will make your liver handle things optimally. Dr. Pete's explanation of how concentric exercise helps build muscle and produce testosterone, but using the muscle in the downward lengthening stroke produces cortisol and damages mitochondria is interesting and suggests careful attention to our workout routine is important. He said one way you could biohack your chin-ups would be to simply do them while standing on your rebounder and avoid the chin downs by just dropping on the rebound. Oh, so he's already thinking. Hmm, it's interesting. <laughs> biohack it. You just biohack it, right? Well, Dr. Pete, what's on your schedule today? Anything really fun and interesting? No, I haven't thought about what I would be doing. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, we'll figure it out when the time comes. Well, thanks again for uh, for being here on the third Tuesday. So tell folks on your website, you have a, uh, it's every other month newsletter, right? And we always put the link there and folks can get that if they want, right? Yep. com. Drink your orange juice, drink your milk, have some fun. Thanks, Dr. Pete. We'll see you next month. Take care of yourself. Okay, thanks. It's been an honor. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being here.